Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, this is the Book of Revelation, Session 3, Understanding Symbols and Patterns. And what I want to do uh, in this session is I want to talk about the, uh, uh, the Book of Revelations, the, the symbols that are found in the Book of Revelation, and uh, some of the patterns, and I'll define those two things differently, uh, some of the patterns that are found in the Book of Revelation that help us make sense of the Book of Revelation and help it make, make it not confusing or weird or uh, impossible. And uh, I want to just uh, give us a, uh, a little bit of a roadmap uh, to uh, be able to uh, look into and understand so many of the various passages of Revelation. I've got one really good piece of news for you tonight. For those of you who think, man, the book of Revelation is so confusing, there's so many symbols. There's actually not that many symbols. And that is one of the greatest keys of interpretation I can give you about the book of Revelation. One of the greatest things I can tell you is most of what's in the book of Revelation is straightforward. It's just bizarre. It's not symbolic. And so for you to know there's actually only a few symbols in the book of Revelation is a very helpful interpretive key for you. And that's kind of where I want to begin. So uh, part uh, Roman numeral one, page one, making sense of Revelation as a revelation that God gave. Making sense of this book as a revelation from God. <clears throat> we want to remember in our approach, this is a little bit of a recap, but again, in this series, one of the great things that uh, we're able to do is we're going to go so slow that we're able to talk about the same things over and over again. So as I give you a little bit of recap here, I'm hoping that this stuff will start to sink in and we'll get it. One of the first things we want to remember about our approach to understanding the Bible whether we're talking about symbols or patterns or this book or that book, one of the things we want to make sure we've got concrete in our soul is that God is not mean. He gave us the Bible so that it could be understood, not so that it would be not understandable. That God likes us enough to write down things in a book that help us to understand who He is, understand what He likes, understand what He thinks, and He did not make it so mysterious that we could not know those things. That would be a mean God. I'm going to write down everything. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking and feeling, but I'm going to make it impossible for you to ever know what those things are. So, ha! Now, live perfectly, even as I am perfect. Okay? Ready? Go. That would be cruel. And God is not that way. The book of Revelation is part of the Bible. It is not some extra-biblical material. It's not some poetic, weirdy author of the New Age. It is the Bible, so it is understandable because it's the Bible, all right? I just want us to get that. It's such an important thing for you to just get written on your heart. How could it be that God would give us a book we can't understand? That's just mean. We can understand it. The Bible is God's communication to us about his thoughts, his desires, his affections. Okay, if I beat that horse good enough, we must come to Revelation, the book of Revelation, we must come to the Father. We must come to any principle of the kingdom like a bebe. We must come to the Lord like a child. And if we are coming to the Lord with a perspective and an approach that a five-year-old couldn't do, 
we are approaching the Lord in a way that is actually not the design of the kingdom of God. We are approaching the Lord in a way that is not the design of the kingdom. If we are approaching the Lord in a way that means you have to be super smart or super experienced or super influential or super connected or super something. No, you need to be like a five-year-old who doesn't have anything. They've got nothing except a willing heart and they smile a lot. Oh, I think we could all learn something from five-year-olds. They smile at the darndest stuff. So Matthew 10, verse 15 through 16, gives us a principle about the kingdom of God. It gives us a principle about the book of Revelation. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms. He put his hands on them and he blessed them. This wasn't just coming to Jesus like a child. This is not a kingdom principle that ends at salvation. Jesus is not simply saying you can't go to heaven unless you come like a child. He's saying this is, a, this is the way the kingdom is. He said this is a principle of the kingdom of God. Don't overcomplicate things. He says if you don't receive the kingdom, if you don't receive the Bible, if you don't receive instruction, if you don't receive truth like a child, you're overcomplicating it and you won't get it. And you could get salvation and miss this important detail because you started to become so smart. You came to Christ like a child, but then you came to the next truth in the Bible, so smarty pants. You came to the next revelation that the Lord wanted to give you as a scholar. You can't, it's like the Lord's like, it's a simple kingdom principle. Come like a child or you'll miss it. Starting with the, the door in, salvation. But it doesn't end there. Next. I just want you to give yourself, some, give yourself a little patience. Be patient with yourself. There are a lot of details about the end times. There are a lot of details about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, as we've been saying the last number of weeks, it's the longest epistle in the New Testament. It's the longest letter. And so it would be difficult. I mean, I don't know that any of you in the room would say you perfectly understand Ephesians. Ephesians is a way shorter book than Revelation. But you would say, I can understand Ephesians. Take the same thought process with Revelation. Okay? You don't know Revelation in and out because you haven't spent enough time in Revelation. You don't know Ephesians in and out because you haven't spent enough time in Ephesians. But you can understand Ephesians and you can understand the book of Revelation. It takes time to get this into your heart. I want to remind you again of Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, the book of Revelation. That's the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and who take to heart what is written in it. You can't take to heart what is written in it unless you understand it. And you can't take to heart what is written in it unless you've given yourself some time to understand it. So I just want you to be patient with yourself. So if you're like at week three and you're like, well, I don't perfectly understand it yet. Well, of course. That's okay. One more detail. The Lord has set things up to make truth simultaneously hard and easy the lord is so funny he's so multi-dimensional he can do anything and everything all at once multitasker extraordinaire he has made truth simultaneously easy and hard here's how it's easy you can be a dummy and you can understand truth it is not about how smart you are your phd your educational background how many bible studies you've been to or haven't you can understand truth regardless of your IQ, 
You can understand the truths of the kingdom. Again, how mean of God to make the kingdom of God the most important thing in the world, but only smart people can get it. Okay? He made it for dumb people. All right? I know. First on the list. Okay? You can get this. Just don't give up. Just stick with it. Just read it again. I don't know what I'm reading. Read it again. Well, I don't know what I'm reading. Read it again this time. Try praying. Oh, man, that helped a little. Now I get it a little bit. Good. Read it again. I mean, it's really not difficult. But here's how it's simultaneously easy and difficult. No one wants to read it again. No one wants to stare at it long enough to get it. No one. We all universally want the fast food drive-in or drive-through version of understanding. We go to the order box. We look at the menu. It, we take 13 seconds. We're trying to beat the guy in the line next to us that's also trying to get up to the, to the pay. We look at the menu for three seconds. <clears throat> we, we get out our order real quick. We get up there, and we want it hot, ready, now, and cheap. And we want to be able to yell if it ain't. And that's how our approach, unfortunately, has come into the kingdom of God. And God's like, I'm, I'm not changing. You don't have to be smart, but you do have to be persistent. You don't have to be wise, but you do have to be faithful. And if you're faithful with little, I'll give you more. And then if you're faithful with that, I'll give you more. It's, this is how the kingdom operates. So truth is both easy and so hard. So easy, anybody can do it. So hard, nobody wants to. But anybody could. Book of Revelation is the same way. Part D. I can remember staring at this stuff the first time and going, it's so fuzzy, it doesn't make any sense. The, the third time, I still don't really know what I'm looking at. Fifth time, I'm starting to get a little something. I think I read that once before. It takes some time. The promise of seeking and finding. I just want to read you a few verses. God loves to both hide and reveal secrets. It's like his favorite. He loves it. Just imagine when the first Christian discovered the periodic table of elements. Like when a, when a Christian saw it and went, oh my gosh, it was there all along. God did that. God did, whoa, it's not just wind, fire, and water. Like there are elements. God did that way long ago, long before we figured it out. He loved to hide it. He loved it when somebody found it. He loves to hide and he loves to reveal, but it takes time and effort. I mean, the periodic table of elements didn't just show up one day. I mean, it took some effort and some searching out. It's like that in the kingdom. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of God to conceal revelation. To search out the matter, the glory of kings. Be a king. You will seek me and find me when we seek me with all, my, all your heart. If you look for it as for silver, search for it as for hidden treasure, you will understand the fear of the Lord. You'll find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. It's from the Lord, His mouth, come knowledge and understanding. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knocking the door will be open. I mean, over and over again, the Bible makes it so clear. He makes things hidden. He plays hide and go seek and He wants to be found, but He doesn't hide in the most obvious spot. You've got to search it out a little bit. But any kid knows how to play hide-and-go-seek until they find whoever is hiding. I mean, when I get a really good spot, man, they still find me. They find me. Because they just, they're set on it. Just get set on it and you'll be fine. All right. Now, I just want to remind us with this. I know that's a little bit of a recap. It's an invitation to understand hidden things. 
So if you go, the book of Revelation reads different than the book of Ephesians. Great. Take it as a challenge. It's an invitation to understand the hidden things of God. It's an under, it's a, it's a, uh, invitation into mystery, into encounter, because every step you take to try to understand things that God has hidden, it's not just you gaining knowledge, it's you gaining friendship. God is so great that he has made the pursuit of the human heart, the, the pursuit of knowledge, also an on-ramp to encountering him and to friendship if we just posture our hearts right. The kindness of God. You want knowledge? You want to be smarter tomorrow than you were today? If we seek God out and we seek out his instruction, we don't just gain knowledge about him, we gain understanding of him. We gain friendship and intimacy. This is all really, really good news, but it does require we turn the TV off. I mean, it does require we slow down a little bit. It does require we engage him a little bit and a little bit more and then a lot more. And what happens is he makes us hungry and we start doing stupid stuff. We start 18-hour-a-day houses of prayer. People can come in all the time and pray and cry and read their Bibles and read somebody else's Bible. I mean, they do all kinds of crazy stuff here. You get hungry and you start to feed a different animal. And that's what the Lord wants. He desires it. He wants to give you understanding. All right, now, new information. Important number patterns. I want to talk about a couple of things that's fun. I look at this and I'm like, man, this is so helpful. In the book of Revelation... It is so incredibly helpful that there are so many sequences in the book of Revelation that are numbered. Numbered sequences. So let me give you a, a, a for instance, okay? So it's like, you know, you got three kids in a line. And then they're, they're in line from tallest to shortest. And they, each of them have a name. Like, the first in line is Jimmy. And, and he's, you know, however tall. And the next in line is Frank. And he's however tall. And the next in line, you know, according to a sequence, what's going to happen when you get to the third one. You've already talked about the first one. You've already talked about the second one. There's one more placeholder. You know what's coming because you know how to count. The book of Revelation has so many sequences that are numbered. First came this. Second came that. Third came this. The first was this. The second was that. There are so many of those in the book of Revelation. That is incredibly helpful because if we know how to count, and I'm hoping most of you do, if not, talk to somebody. We can teach you. The reason that this is so helpful is because it helps us gain confidence over the order and intentionality of the book of Revelation instead of it's just random crazy stuff. No, familiarize yourself with the sequences. And there's not an infinite number of them. There's a countable number of them. To know that there are sequences in the book of Revelation, really great because if you ever see the number first or one or two or this was the third thing that happened, you know what comes before third, second. Go find second. You know what comes after third, fourth. Go find fourth. This is a really helpful key because wherever you're at in the book of Revelation, you're probably only a page away or a paragraph away from a one, two, three sequence because they're all over the book. So much of the book of Revelation is found in sequences. That's a very helpful interpretive key because if you know that, you can then start to track with, oh, this is connected to that. This is like that. This is that line of things that are all in a grouping. Very, very helpful information. Next thing I want to tell you. There are patterns in the book of Revelation related to numbers. We're going to just look briefly. We won't have time to go over all of it by any means. But there are so many times that the number three appears. I gave you 12 references. Three or third, if you can call that the same thing. 
There are so many groupings of three in the book of Revelation. So many groupings of four. So many groupings of 12 in the book of Revelation. So many groupings of 10. There's all these groupings of threes and sevens and tens and whatever else's. And what's helpful about that is when you understand what those numbers mean, it helps you to under, it's those, those numbers, the fact that it's a sequence of seven instead of a sequence of six actually means something. The fact that it's a sequence of three instead of a sequence of two actually means something. And you can start to look at, well, what are the meanings of these numbers in the Bible? I'm not talking about going out, you know, into the world to try to find meanings of numbers. I'm talking about in the Bible, what are the number, what do they mean? And where is that found in referencing that? And I gave you a little bit on that here in the book of Revelation uh, uh, from part two. <coughs> but I'll just tell you this. When you start to see all these numbers all grouped together, the way that I just grouped them here, part A, 12 uh, groupings of the number three. Part B, six groupings of the number four. Part C, eight groupings of the number seven. D, six groupings of the number 10. There's a bunch of these patterns. And when you start to see these numbers, you start to pay attention to it. Here's what it does in my mind and what I'm hoping I can introduce. I don't have time to develop this. I just want to introduce this idea. The pages of the book of Revelation aren't going to change tomorrow. So all you have to do is familiarize yourself with these numbers, what they mean, where they're found, and how many of them there are. And now you start to develop a skeletal structure of the book of Revelation. Because now you know, oh, one, two, three. Okay, so here's one on this page. Oh, the two is uh, two pages there. Two, three, another page, three. You start to develop systematic understanding of the book of Revelation because there are so many groupings of numbers. That's incredibly helpful. Give you a great, for instance. There were three woes. Well, then you can go identify woe one, woe two, and woe three. Whoa, that's right. Amen. Hey, something that I just think is just so fun, right after those, there's three hallelujahs that judge all three of the woes, that talk about the, the benefit of heaven judging all the reasons that there was a woe. Now heaven is rejoicing because judgment was brought to each one of those woes. I mean, this is the Lord just responding. He does something, then he responds. There is so much just beauty in the book of Revelation. So there's three hallelujahs, there's three woes. I mean, this is like just... Oh my gosh, if we approach the kingdom of God like a child, a kid can count to three. It's just that simple. So that's what part two is. I would just encourage you as you have some time, go read through number two, just kind of slow and just kind of think about it. I gave you all the scripture references, so I didn't make any of them uh, that didn't have a scripture reference unless it was like I gave you the Holy Trinity because the Trinity, all, all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all representative in the book of Revelation, but not in necessarily one verse. So, um, Anyway, so I, I gave you these for you to just kind of look at and familiarize yourself. If you're looking at one of many places you can start to just try to get your head around the book of Revelation, again, there's never going to be more pages to the book of Revelation. So if you just familiarize yourself with the 22 chapters, there's never going to be a 23rd. Just start to chew on it. Start to get it. Start to pay attention to these numbers and these sequences, and it'll help you. All right, I'm going to skip now to page four, I believe, in the notes. interpreting the symbolism. Now, as I started off, 
the symbols in the book of Revelation are actually the rarity. It's not that there's none, but there's way less than you think. There's way, way less. I mean, unless you've spent a good amount of time studying this, there's way less, there's way fewer than you think. My mom right now, I can hear her. Fewer, Brad, not less. Say fewer. Um, so that's my shout out, mom. All right. <clears throat> I'm trying. So interpreting the symbolism. The symbols are rare, and where there are symbols, God is so kind, he identifies them and says, hey, this is a symbol. Oh, my goodness, Lord, you're so kind. So I don't have to just go on this, this you know, rabbit trail of what's a symbol, what isn't. I mean, there's actual information in there. The symbols are rare. They are identified more than identified. They're interpreted in the book of Revelation. Hey, this is a symbol. There's not many of them. This is a symbol. Here it is. Here's what it means. Oh, thank you. Oh, I can do this. If the kingdom of God is like a five-year-old, I'm in. I can, I can roll with this. If the symbols are identified and interpreted, I can do it. And they're in their plain sense meaning. Everything else in the, in the uh, book of Revelation, you just take it at its plain sense meaning unless it says it's a symbol. Now, let's break those ideas down. So I just kind of gave you the little bit of an a, uh, uh, overview of this section. Number three here, Roman numeral three. Let me give you some of the isolated symbolic phrases. When the book of Revelation says something like, the mystery is this. That's the Holy Spirit saying, it's a mystery. Therefore, you don't know what this is. There's some symbolism here. Look out. God called it a mystery. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A sign. A sign points to something. A sign isn't something. A sign points to something. Signs, you know, a stop sign means stop. It, it doesn't stop. It isn't stop. It's indicating what you're supposed to do. A sign points to something else. A great and wondrous sign appeared. Then another sign appeared. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. I will explain to you the mystery. You see in the pattern here? The book of Revelation does absolutely identify symbolism. It says here are symbols. But there's not that many. In fact, that might be all of them. There might be just a couple more. There's not that many times it says that. Now, I just want to be like really simple here. I want to get like super, you know, dumbed down here. Why would the book of Revelation, which is about the end of the age, and God wants the church ready for the end of the age, if, if it's so important, why would God highlight, let's say, a dozen, it's not that many, maybe five or ten, whatever the number is, why would he highlight five or ten signs and say, this is a mystery, it's important, you need to understand this. Why would he highlight this, you know, call it ten or whatever the number is, as signs that need to be interpreted, they are symbolic. Why would he do that if everything in the book of Revelation was symbolic? Why would he draw attention to 10 things and, and make everything else, oh, sorry, you're stuck on that stuff. I gave you the interpretation for 10 of them. You are just stuck for number 11 through 99. Like, you're just sorry. The ones that he draws attention to as a sign, as a symbol, something to be interpreted, they're to be interpreted, but oh, look at part B. The symbols are interpreted in the Bible. Even in the book of Revelation, number one, 
Seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Revelation 1.20. There are these stars. Oh, what are the stars? It's a mystery. What is it? It tells you. Seven golden lampstands. They are the seven churches. These lampstands are so mysterious. I, I don't know what they are. The book of Revelation tells you. They're the churches. Go read it. Revelation 1.20. 144,000. What is it? What is 144? What are they? Who are they? are 12,000 Jews from each tribe. It tells you right there. Revelation 7.4. These are not so difficult. The book of Revelation actually tells you what the symbols are and tells you what the interpretation of those symbols are. This makes it so easy. You could look at part B here as like your cheat sheet. Okay? So maybe like cut it out or something, do something funny with it, take a picture on your phone. I don't know. Really wild tattoo. Uh, get part B kind of written on your heart. And now you have the interpretation of the symbols in the book of Revelation. Because it tells you right there. A great multitude. What is this great multitude? Who is it? How, how do we know what it is? It tells you right in Revelation 7. It's those coming out of the tribulation. You don't have to wonder what these things are. But I want to tell you, this is so helpful. The signs... The mysteries, the symbols are identified as symbols with interpretation of what those symbols mean. This is easy. The difficulty is you have to read a few more verses after so that you can see where the Bible actually interprets what the, what the symbol is. You got to stare at it a little bit. You won't get this at a single read through just one time and I'm brilliant. I got it all. That won't happen. You're going to have to look at it a little bit, but it's there, and I gave you all the Bible references. This is very helpful. The symbols are clear, and they are identified. Now, let's move to page five. <clears throat> there are a few, it's a very small number, there are a few unidentified symbols. You know, wait, I thought... I thought that you said they were interpreted. Yeah, there are a few that aren't interpreted, and statements are made, I don't want you to know what this is yet. So here's a symbol. Oh, great, there's going to be interpretation. Not this time. This time, I don't want you to know what it is yet. So I give you a few of the phrases. The white stone in Revelation 2, it has a secret name written on it. It's a secret. God says it's a secret. God says, here's a stone. It's got a secret name written on it. Well, what's the secret name? It's a secret. I can't tell you. I mean, this is so simple, right? There are symbols that are interpreted, and there are symbols that were flat out told. I don't want you to know this right now. Next one. The seven thunders are sealed. You read in Revelation chapter 10. There are these seven thunders. You're like, oh, great. I'm going to get to hear what these seven thunders are because that's kind of a mysterious statement. What's a thunder? Man, and there's seven of them. It's going to be great. And John is told, he's about to write it down. It says right there in, in uh, Revelation 10, and I was about to write it down, and the spirit of the angel, I think, forget which one, I think the angel said, don't write this down. It's sealed until the end. Huh. So this is something you told me is a symbol, and you don't want me to know yet, but you have given that invitation of those who seek find, but this one is not going to be readily available. It's not going to just be laid out there. Okay. 
the new song, which is described as a new song that no one else can know. I mean, guys, it's really this simple. We have made the book of Revelation massively difficult, and there's absolutely no reason for it. There is no reason. There is no justification whatsoever. The issue is we're not, we're not taking these simple ideas at their face value. And secondly, we're, we're approaching God with a puffed-up head and, a, and a, a big education and a big this and a big that. And the Lord just says, come simply, just read it. I told you there's a blessing on it if you read it. I told you there's a blessing if you understand it and apply it. I want for you to be able to understand it and apply it. You don't need to be so smart. In fact, all you smarties have made it very difficult. Don't be so smart. Just take the book of Revelation at its face value. All right, now, I want to talk about this term, plain sense meaning, okay? Because remember, I told you, you're like, man, there was a bunch of symbols on these last few pages. There's 22 chapters. That's not a bunch. 22 chapters is a lot of information. I mean, you're flipping through the Bible at the end. You're flipping Revelation for a while. There's a bunch of pages in the book of Revelation. That's not so many uh, symbols. I gave you all of them, okay? That's not so many. All the rest of the information that doesn't say, hey, I'm a symbol. Pay attention to me. Interpret me. I need to be interpreted. Oh, and here's the interpretation. All of them that don't say that, it's not a symbol. It means what I say. They say what I mean. It is to be taken at its plain sense meaning. So I want to talk about what that means because this is the trip up. And I'm going to give you what I think are some of the key reasons we've made the book of Revelation difficult. And it honestly has to do with overcomplicating and a lack of faith. Really. It's really simple. The concept of plain sense meaning is that the Lord wants us to take the information and to apply it into just a common sense sort of a way. It says what it means. It means what it says. It doesn't require interpretation. You just take it in its plain sense. All right, now I want to give you a few components here that will help us to understand a little bit of what I mean by plain sense. One little thing that the Lord does throw in there that he uses frequently in his communication is hyperbole. It's a fun little word, big word, hyperboles. There are times when the Lord uses hyperbole, you're like, the heck is that, Brad? You said we could be dumb. Okay, well, I had to look it up too, so it's okay. Hyperbole, the concept of a hyperbole is exaggerated statements or claims that aren't meant to be taken literally, but they are intended to make a strong point. Give you a great for instance. Jesus said, hate your family. Hate them. And he did not mean hate them. What did he mean? Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brother and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So if you take this and you don't recognize there's a hyperbole being used here, you you are now supposed to hate yourself and hate your family. I don't know who you're supposed to like because you're supposed to hate everybody, apparently, according to this list. This is Jesus making a statement about the kingdom of God, not promoting hate, but rather loyalty to him as supreme above relationships. Loyalty to Jesus as supreme above our relationships. 
So if we've got a relationship and the relationship says go left and God says go right, you always go right. Always. And the relationship loses 100% of the time. If it's your mom, if it's your wife, if it's you, relationship loses 100% of the time to God. That's what he's trying to convey there. Now, the reason I put that in is because there are times in the book of Revelation, like the Antichrist being called the beast. Well, he's not going to actually be a beast. He's not going to be a beast with, you know, weird figures, whatever. He's a human being. We've got enough Bible verses on that that make it clear. But he's called the beast 13 times in the book of Revelation. You want to know why? He's a beast, man. He's a beast. He's horrible. He's the worst. He's like the worst of the worst. If you lined up all the bad guys, he's the worst. He could eat them all. The Antichrist is a beast in his nature. He is beastly. But it's a term that's used multiple times in the book of Revelation to describe the Antichrist. Let me tell you the next important key, and I think it's one of the most, uh, one of the most problematic points for the church, especially for so much of conservative Christianity. Now, I don't mean conservative about the gifts of the Spirit. I just mean conservative in, in uh, our approach related to faith. Part B is stomaching God's supernatural judgments. There is so much in the body of Christ, so much in us that looks at the book of Revelation, and when it says something really crazy and bad is going to happen, we have a tendency to make that one one hundredth as crazy and bad, or to reinterpret it somehow to make it symbolic so that it doesn't mean what it says. Let me tell you this. It says the Red Sea parted, and that means the Red Sea parted. It's impossible. It couldn't have happened, and it happened. The Red Sea parted. Furthermore, God had a little timer set on it. And he let all of his good guys come through. And then when he was good and done, like, okay, last guy's through. Then he used the same water that a minute ago was a, a way out and protection for his people. He used the same water to kill everybody in Pharaoh's army. Now we look at that and it's, it's easier for us to think mythical Old Testament story. Maybe it happened. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it did. It's easier for us to do that with the past. But when we start coming to those same kinds of crazy events in the future, and we start to imagine them in cities and real places, we immediately check out and we go, couldn't be real. It's got to be symbolic. It means something else. It doesn't mean something else. It means exactly what it says. The supernatural judgments of God in the book of Revelation are the craziest things ever. And they're literal. They're exactly what you're reading. The problem is we look at it and we go, no, it's too crazy. It's got to be symbolic. It's not symbolic. It's literal. That's a huge interpretive key. Next, the activity of angels. We choke on the activity of angels. We think about an angel doing this or an angel doing that. We read it in the word of God. And again, we start to kind of distance ourselves. But the idea that an angel could do something now and that the angels in the book of Revelation are going to do all the stuff that they say they're going to do, it's unbelievable to us. It's, it's unfathomable that the activity of angels could really be that big, that crazy, that overt, that visual, visual. So many things in the book of Revelation describe the activity of angels that people on earth will see with their eyeballs, where angels will say stuff and do stuff. And you don't want to know what? It's literal. They're going to say stuff and do stuff. We choke on it because we've got such a spirit of, uh, of lack of faith, of unbelief. It says what it means, and it means what it says. If the Bible in the book of Revelation, specifically everywhere, but if in the book of Revelation, it doesn't call it a symbol, it doesn't say, hey, I'm a mystery, hey, I'm a sign, 
It's literal. You just take it at its plain sense meaning. Last one I want to make here that's important detail is not interpreting interesting looking creatures. You go, how could that be such a big point? There are so many people that think that the demon horde that comes out of hell in Revelation 9 are helicopters. It's a demon horde that comes out of hell. And part of the thinking is, well, it's, they got little things that, that could be a propeller. It ain't a propeller. It's a description of a demon horde. Okay? It comes out of hell. And I just, I look at it and I go, we choke on the idea of these weird looking creatures, but... We're familiar enough with the four living creatures around the throne. And we believe in them. And they are the oddest looking things. What well, makes sense that the kingdom of hell would also have some odd looking things. That when hell opens up its mouth and throws some stuff up, it would make sense that whatever came out of there, which happens in Revelation, Revelation 9, abyss, the abyss opens up and all kinds of ugly, horrible, evil things come up out of hell and they are not helicopters. They are evil creatures from hell. And they do terrible, terrible things for months on end. The reason I say that is we don't want to interpret things that don't need any interpretation. This is why it's become so confusing. I'm going to bottom line and we'll get into groups. The reason it's become so confusing, we've taken the book of Revelation and we've said it's got to be all symbolic or it's all over with because I can't handle that that could possibly be in our future even though the things that we're reading about have never happened in real life. And if we think they have happened, we had to interpret Revelation to make them have had happen in, in the history. You, there's never been any of this stuff that's happened. And in order to make it historical, all that happened in this day, that you have to read and interpret the text so wildly to make it fit a historical account. You don't need to interpret it. You don't need to add additional symbolism. The book of Revelation is very straightforward, except where it's a symbol, and then it tells you it's a symbol. And then it tells you what the symbol means. We've made Revelation so difficult because we've tried to make the whole thing symbolic. And as soon as it's symbolic, without the Bible interpreting what the symbol is, now it can all mean anything. Anything can mean anything to anybody. It's not difficult. It's so straightforward. It says what it means it means what it says. All right, if I can have my group leader stand up, and Luke, if I can have you go over here. So Jeremy's over here. Jeremy, hand in the air if you would. In fact, if you can stand, Jeremy. All right, Castlin, Caitlin, Andy's in the back. Luke's going to be over here. We're going to break up into groups of what, Andy? What's the number? 10? About 10? Get into 10. If you start to hit 11 or 12, please go to a different group. That way we can break this up a little bit. All right, so you can go ahead and, uh, and go join a group. We're going to do a group discussion now on the content, and then we'll get back, and we'll do a little bit of Q&A at the end. You got one minute to get into a group. Everybody go. All right, let's uh, reconvene here. So hopefully you got your questions. All right, uh, we good back there? Andy, we ready? Okay, good, good. Castlin, you guys got your question, more or less? Okay, Caitlin, sort of, question? Good. Okay. Jeremy, yours. So, I'm going to interpret it, but basically, we're called to understand the signs of the times according to Revelation 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. Matthew 24. Yep. Um, where, where do you think we are in the end time timeline, and why do you think that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Okay. The question was, I'll bottom line it. According to the signs of the times, this is definitely not from this session, by the way. 
according to the signs of the times, uh, where do I think we're at in the timeline and why? Um, so the signs of the times are, uh, are signs that Jesus gave, and then we've got all throughout uh, Old and New Testament, that are supposed to be timing indicators. And Jesus said, you're supposed to pay attention to these. And it's why the, ad, uh, the admonition is to watch and pray, because you're supposed to know what those signs are, pay attention to what they are, so that when you start to see them in the news, you go, that's that. Uh, and you can't do that unless you know what they are from the Bible. And typically we do it backwards and we see something in the news and we go, that's terrible. That must be a sign of the time. And we have no idea what the Bible says. So uh, I would say um, my, my thought process of where we're at, and this is just, you know, me, is my thinking. Um, I think that we are in the period of the birth pains, which precedes the, uh, the timing of the Great Tribulation. Uh, the, the tribulation is a seven-year period of time. The great tribulation is the final three and a half years of that seven-year period. And before that seven years starts, before the, the tribulation period starts, there's a period that's not defined how long it is called the season of the birth pains, where these signs of the times are unfolding. And I think we're a good ways into that. I don't know how far, but I would think because these things are escalating, and I'll give you a couple of them that I would cite as significant. Uh, signs that are uh, showing up on the world scene in a way that is profound. Uh, I'm, I think in our lifetime, one of the greatest signs of the times was the Arab Spring. And I, the reason that I say that is because Jesus said that there would be commotions. That It was one of the signs. He was talking about national civil unrest would become something that would be normative. And he, he, uh, one translation says revolutions that you'll see revolutions occur in a way that is unusual. You'll see revolutions happen on the world scene as a way, uh, in, a, in a number, uh, affecting uh, a number of people, uh, getting international attention in a way that is unique from the rest of human history. And there's never been a time that I, that I can note by my you know, amateur study of history that there have simultaneously been that many sovereign nations in civil unrest trying to overthrow their government. Uh, and and that, that's like the first time in human history that that happened. The second sign that I would say as one of the most profound, in my opinion, actually is related to that, and it's the subject of technology. Uh, the advancement of technology, Daniel chapter 12, says that in the last days, there is going to be a significant increase of the capacity for travel and the capacity of sharing of information. And when you put all that together, those things actually were the two primary uh, fuel points for the Arab Spring. Because you got this thing going on over here and it's bad, but because of social media, everybody found out about it. And the guys that were leading the unrest in this country got on a plane and went over there and started leading unrest in that country the next day. And so actually, I, you start to look at the different signs, biblical signs, that are growing in intensity, uh, that the, the impact on humanity is increasing. And uh, Jesus said it this way in um, uh, Matthew 24. He said, the generation that sees the beginning of these things is the generation that will see me in the sky with their eyeballs. And so 
when he says all these things, it doesn't mean one sign or two signs. It means all the signs that he listed out happening for the first time in the most profound way, in a growing way, at the same time, in a generation. And I believe from my study of the signs of the times, it is clear that nearly every one of those signs is apparent and growing and the ones that aren't, <clears throat> there's still whisper of, and I believe that we'll see uh, more fullness uh, in the coming you know, years. So I think we are, we are really into the season of the birth pains, but because it wasn't defined how long it would be, it makes it clear enough that it's going to be decades, but we don't know, is that three decades or 12 decades? It doesn't really say. Uh, but I think that we're uh, in that season according to Jesus saying, watch and pray and pay attention to the signs. So grief okay so uh yes castle okay uh the question was <clears throat> uh help make sense of the events that seem to be jumping all around if you're reading revelation 1 through 22 if you're going in order, it doesn't seem like necessarily all the events are happening in order. It kind of makes sense of that. We're going to spend a whole session talking about that. I'll give you the short answer uh, in, in a phrase that uh, we'll just have to table for later because it's, it, we're going to spend a whole session talking about it. There are two major storylines occurring in the book of Revelation simultaneously. The first is a chronological unfolding of events. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. The second component of the storyline of the book of Revelation is this angel keeps freaking John out and saying, John, are you freaked out? John says, I'm freaked out. And the angel says, let me tell you more important stuff. Let's pause the story for a minute. Come over here and let me tell you more important stuff about what's going to be going on in the church, what's going to be going on in the lost world. Let me, let me give you some asides. It's like a, you know, if you've ever seen a, a, a play and the narrator comes up on stage and kind of pauses the play and starts telling you more information. He's giving you information you need that's helpful to have it right there, but it's breaking up the chronology. I mean, he's, he's coming in and saying stuff. And the angel does that frequently. And a term that I heard that I like is they're, they're parentheses. There are these moments in the book of Revelation, and they're marked and they're clear, and we'll identify them when we get there that are parentheses that's like an aside. Say, pause the story, now let me tell you some stuff. And John's like, okay, okay. John, you got it? Yeah. All right, now let's get back to the story. Play. And they start telling the story again. And so uh, we'll look at that. And I, I'm not just, you know, saying, that's just how it is. We're going to spend a whole session talking about that point and unpacking it. Uh, so, uh, so I would encourage you to make sure uh, you, you get that one or get the session notes or something. So, Caitlin, your question. Yeah, so good question. Um, more or less the question was, uh, where do we draw the lines? How do we know what to take literally and, and uh, what's hyperbole and, and uh, how do we discern that? Um, so great question. Um, I think that like I, we started this session talking about the importance of searching out hidden things, okay? I can remember in the example that I gave you in the notes the first time as a brand new baby believer, the first time I read, hate your father and mother, 
and hate yourself. I can remember that and going, looking at it and going, that, that can't, what? <laughs> and a, a hungry person stops life and says, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to cross-reference this verse. I'm going to see what does Jesus say about hate and love. I'm going to see what Jesus says about family relationships. I'm going to see what else Jesus has to say because I'm hungry and I want to understand what the heck I am reading. Okay? And after a little bit of doing that, I went, okay, I don't have it fully figured out, but he's trying to put a giant exclamation point on some point here, and I want to figure out what the point is. Because he's not actually telling me to go around hating people, but there's some point he's really trying to drive home, and I want, I'm hungry. I want to figure it out. Okay? When the book of Revelation calls the Antichrist a beast or the beast 13 times, you're supposed to go, what, what is this, what is this point? What is Jesus trying to say here? And, and the, if you were taking it literally, you would go, he is a beast. He is a monster. But then you can't rectify the rest of the passages that say he's a man, he's going to die. He's, I mean, it gives you all these details about him. And here's the great thing about the Bible. It never contradicts itself. It informs itself. So what we need to do in order to understand things in the book of Revelation, in the Gospels, wherever, we want to look at what the whole council of Scripture says about that particular subject because if there's other passages about this guy at the end of the age that's going to rule the world and be horrendously evil, oh yeah, there is. He's called the Antichrist. He's, he's in some of the epistles, and we see him elsewhere in the Old Testament. If there's going to be this guy, then let's see what the other verses say. Oh, oh he's a human. He's very clearly a human. Like there's 50 verses that make it very clear he's a man, but he's called a beast. Ah, so he's beastly. This is Jesus trying to identify the Holy Spirit, trying to draw attention to this unbelievable, horrendously evil, angry, beastly-like nature and character, but he's going to appear to be a really great leader and nice and kind. Now, that's one example. There are many. Here's what I started with tonight. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to look at these symbols and wrestle with them one at a time. Oh, that's too much. I give up. Then you won't understand. But if you're hungry, you'll take one thing at a time in the book of Revelation and you'll go, beast, I want to get it. I want to understand it. I want to, I want to figure this out. Lamb. How's he a lamb? How, what is this lamb? Well, who is this lamb? It says he's the son of God. Okay, so the son of God's a lamb. Oh, oh, the son of God's a lamb. The Antichrist's a beast. I get it. It's going to take you some time, but I'll, I'll say it this way. The more you familiarize yourself with the book of Revelation, the more this stuff just starts making sense. And so I, I hope that that was helpful. We're, we're going to spend, because we're going to go through the book of Revelation, like nearly look at every word five times, we will touch on probably anything that you're wondering about this specific one or that specific one, because we're going to go through it, not verse by verse, but more or less. And so, uh, and if we get to one where you're like, I want to understand this one, well, then ask it in these questions at the end and we'll get to it. So, great. Uh, Andy.
That's a great question. I'm going to bottom line your question. What is the, the best step to study the book of Revelation? That's how I'm going to answer because I, I, that will answer that and five more questions like it. Read it a lot. I mean, here's the thing. You, we don't know our way around the book of Revelation, so it's all odd. It's all unfamiliar. So we're talking about symbols and stuff. I mean, don't even try to figure those symbols out right now. Just read the book of Revelation. And then read it again and read it again and read it again. I would encourage you, those of you guys that are doing this with us, I'll, I'll, I'll advertise two concepts to you. One, we have a prayer meeting every week. When is it? 9 a.m. on Friday mornings. We have a prayer meeting every week where we read through the book of Revelation every week as the prayer meeting with music. We read the book of Revelation aloud from the microphone, the book of Revelation every week, every week, every week, Fridays at 9 a.m. We read that every week. Why? Because we want to get it. We want to understand it. We don't want this to be so mysterious and weird. If you read this book a hundred times, I mean, you won't even need to study it. <laughs> It'll just make sense because it interprets itself and you'll start seeing themes and patterns. So my suggestion, honestly, in studying the book of Revelation, studying, don't bother. Read it. And until you've read it 20 times, don't even try to study it. Here's why. You can't possibly learn how to do math in a foreign language until you've learned the language. There's no sense trying to do math. I'm going to, let's do math in Chinese. That's silly. Learn Chinese. You need to learn the language of the book of Revelation. And until you do, so much of it's not going to make any sense at all. But if you'll read the book of Revelation 20 times, like not zoned out times, 20 times where you're reading, you're going, I'm trying to figure this out. You won't get it the first few times, but if you'll read it 20 times, you'll start to figure it out. And then you can study it because then you know the language. Oh, this, oh, that's in the same place it was last week when I read it. It didn't change places in, in the book of Revelation. Oh, it's two is after one. Oh, okay. Oh, and next is three. You start to put it together and you go, oh, I'm familiar. Okay, there's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bulls. It just starts to make sense. The storyline starts to come together. The problem right now is it's so unfamiliar and there's so many things about the book of Revelation that are so different than the book of Ephesians. There's so much that's different that it's so foreign. The whole thing's just bizarre and we're easy to write it off. If you'll read it 20 times and just take some notes. Don't even worry about studying. Just take some notes. Seven seals. Oh, seven trumpets. Oh, there's that seven again. There's a thing. Okay, wow. Seals, bad. Trumpets. These trumpets seem worse. Bowls. Oh, my gosh. The bowls are so bad. If you just take some little notes, you don't even have to study. Just take some notes. Read it through. Read it through. Read it through. And this stuff will start to make sense. And then you can study it. But only after you know the language. Don't try to do math in Chinese until you learn the characters. All right. Uh, this one. Great question. So the question was, if the Lord gives us symbols and then he interprets the symbols, one question would be, why didn't he just tell us what it meant? And the second would be, why didn't he just tell us what it meant? Like, like why, why make it a symbol and then interpret it? Like, what's the benefit of that? Um, I think uh, that is a really, really great dialogue for you to have with the Lord. Honestly. I mean, that's a... I, I, that is, that's a great question. That's, Lord, why do you do that? I don't know. I, he's got symbols. He's poetic. He, 
I would think I would think that that part of it is he's he's letting you know it's part of the invitation into the mystery. It's part of the invitation into understanding him is like I'm willing to tell you what these things mean. Keep coming to me as your source to try to figure out what things mean because I'm telling you what things mean. And and honestly, I think the greatest benefit I'll I'll just I'm said in the session. I think the greatest benefit of identifying some small, finite number of things in the book of Revelation as symbolic, the greatest benefit is everything else isn't. That's the greatest benefit. Here are the symbols. If I didn't say it's a symbol, it ain't. Just it's taking it at face value. It means what it says. And so, and then you're like, well, it means what it says, but then there's that whole hyperbole thing and the beast and the this. Okay, so be hungry. Don't give up. It'll interpret it. You just got to stick with it a little bit. So um, great question. Worship team, if you can come on up, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and start to phase us out here a little bit. Listen, I just want to remind you of a couple of things, okay? This, you, you can't understand this. I promise you, if you'll stick with it, the fog will lift. Uh, and I, I'm not just saying this because I saw it with me. I've seen it with groups of people that we've taken through the book of Revelation. We've taken through eschatology, the study of the end times, for years, and I've seen people that came in and they were totally fuzzy and foggy wind up teaching in our Bible school. The same subject that when they heard it the first time, it was so, it didn't make any sense. Just stick with it. You got to be a little patient with yourself. And if you're like, well, man, I am definitely not reading the book of Revelation 20 times. Okay, keep coming and not understanding. That's okay. I mean, we'll, we'll, I mean we're setting this up to do our best. I'm not actually expecting that all of you are going to do that, but I'm telling you, you'd be benefited if you did. The book of Revelation says you're blessed if you read the thing. And you're blessed if you understand it and apply it. So this is like a pastoral care. You know, go get blessing. Read the book of Revelation, and then you'll you'll start to make sense of this stuff. And it's, it's the most fascinating and enjoyable. I mean, it's my favorite. I don't know. I, that's a personal thing. I love studying the end times in the Bible. In the Bible, give up on the internet. That's the internet equal bad. Okay, don't get your eschatology from the internet. Don't get your eschatology even from a great preacher. Read the Bible, and if the if the preacher preaches Bible verses, go look at those Bible verses on your own, and see if those Bible verses say what the preacher says. And if the Bible verses do, great. If the Bible verses don't, don't listen to the preacher. We got to get our eschatology from the book. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.